If you will remain standing, and we are going to be in the book of Lamentations this morning. So if you want to find Lamentations chapter 3. If you don't know much about Lamentations, it's kind of snuck in there right after Jeremiah. And most people think that Jeremiah wrote it. It's one of the most beautiful, structured, literary books in the entire Bible. It's also one of the most emotional, raw, and painful books in the whole Bible. Jeremiah has seen horrific things, and now, as he writes this, he's waiting to see what God will do after bringing such pain to his people. So let's read from Lamentations chapter 3, starting with verse 19. Remember my affliction and wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust, there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you who don't know me, I realize I've had a little bit of an introduction already, but my name is Kirk Norris. Uh, I am a missionary with MTW, our denominational mission agency in Ukraine, Lviv, Ukraine. I'm here with my wife, Anna, and our four children. And maybe more relevant as I get ready to start speaking about Lamentations 3, we were in Ukraine last February when Russia decided to launch a massive invasion on our country. There, there are a few experiences from this war that I already know are going to stick with me for the rest of my life. I'm sure that I'm not going to forget that feeling of patriotism for a country that I wasn't even born into. Solidarity with men and women across the nation at the time that something happened and suddenly changed all of our lives. I'm also sure that I'm not going to forget the horror and the pain after we discovered and learned of what the Russian soldiers had done outside of Kyiv when they pulled back from north of Kyiv in Bucha and Irpin. I doubt that I'll ever forget the displacement of becoming essentially a refugee, not in a legal sense, but in not knowing where my home is anymore and not knowing if and when I can return or whether we will never return to what was once our home. But there's an experience that probably every person in Ukraine is now far too familiar with, that they know very well, that all of us have experienced who have lived in Ukraine during the last year. And it's typified by a single sound. Hey! 
All of us who lived in Ukraine during the last year have heard that many, many times. An air raid siren, of course, if you, if you didn't know, if you've not heard one of those before. It means that there's a threat in the air. There's an airplane, there's a missile that's been launched, or there's a drone at this point now, potentially in the air as well. And basically, you have one job when you hear that noise. Kind of like you're, you're in Tornado Alley here, right? So you understand. You find safety in the center near a, a solid load-bearing wall, and you wait. You sit there and you wait. I wonder at this point how many hours Ukrainians have spent in basements, in parking garages, in hallways, in the center of their buildings. Countless hours, I'm sure. I personally sat through dozens of these air raid sirens. Even my children sat through a few of them before we evacuated to Poland. My team leader's family was actually at the mall celebrating their daughter's birthday one time when an air raid siren went off, and so she spent her birthday party in her car in the basement in the garage. It's pretty terrible, truly. You sit through the air raid siren, you find things to do, you entertain yourself, maybe watch a few videos. You kind of try to continue with life, but really you're just waiting. And as you wait, you're asking yourself the questions. Is this the time that we're one step closer to victory, or are we one step closer to defeat? What am I going to hear in the middle of this air raid siren? How long is this one going to take? And honestly, an air raid siren and that period of waiting parallels my family's experience right now actually quite well as we sit here in America waiting, waiting to see what God is going to do. It parallels really the experience of an entire nation right now wondering, even as they fight actively, kind of waiting. Where is this war going to go? When is it going to end? How is it going to end? Are we going to have our, our land back or not? But waiting and I really think it probably parallels a lot of your lives as well. Waiting for something, for the Lord to provide something, guidance, a job, a child, many different things that we wait for. And if we're honest, we humans hate to wait. <laughs> and especially, especially Americans, we run away from waiting at any chance. We don't want there to be silence or boredom. Let's at least entertain ourselves if we have to wait for a little bit. Cover it up. So why in the world does Jeremiah write in verse 26, it is good that one should wait for the salvation of the Lord? And so the sermon was really birthed out of asking that question of this passage. Why would the scriptures tell us that it is good to wait? And the answer, and I, I left an outline for you here in the bulletin if you want to look at it. I, I really believe that we will see that the Lord uses waiting. It's not accidental. It's, it's part of his sovereign plan. And so the Lord sends waiting into our lives because he uses waiting in the same way that a surgeon uses a knife to expose in order to heal to expose things in order to heal us. And so we're going to look at the fact that the Lord exposes things in us, but also in the situation in which we find ourselves. And we'll see Jeremiah reflecting some of that in the, in the verses that he wrote in chapter three. 
So before we really dive into how waiting changes us, it's important to understand that in the context of Lamentations, if you know the book at all, waiting and suffering are very intimately connected. Waiting and suffering. The first verses of our passage in verse 19, Jeremiah writes, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. We have to understand that the suffering that Jeremiah has experienced, this is not just waiting with boredom. The suffering that he experienced is not what you might call garden variety suffering. He saw his city, Jerusalem, under siege for 30 months. Things got so terrible that people were cannibalizing each other out of hunger. It was a dark, terrible time in the life of Jerusalem, in the life of Israel. Listen to a few verses that will help us understand emotionally the experience he had. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Another example, look at chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. The tongue of nursing infants sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives it to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who are brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. This is very deep suffering that Jeremiah is experiencing. And yet, after all of that, after all that he experienced, he's able to come to the verse that we read today from chapter 3. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And it is good for someone to wait for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. There is suffering in waiting, but as Jeremiah reminds us, it's good for us to wait because waiting with suffering changes us. There's a a famous poem by the poet Robert Browning Hamilton, and it goes like this. I walked a mile with pleasure, and she chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Some of you will have heard the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. She has become famous, but when she was 17 years old, she went swimming in the Chesapeake Bay. She was with her sister. She dove into the water, misjudged, and hit a sandbar, which severed her spinal cord. At 17 years old, thankfully, her sister saw her jump in and realized something was wrong, pulled her out and saved her, but she was paralyzed from the chest down. She still has use of her arms, but her hands are very limited. She couldn't use them very much. I have never heard Johnny say this, but I, I imagine to myself at 17 years old that if you experience that kind of terrible trauma and suddenly your body is totally different, that you're thinking, I, I doubt the Lord has, me, has many more years for me on this earth with such a traumatic injury like that. Probably my days are numbered now pretty soon. That accident was 55 years ago, and she's still alive today. You would think that decades of paralysis would have been enough suffering for such a, a wonderful, sweet saint as this, 
but she actually talks about how 15 years ago her suffering truly started. That's when a shooting, cutting pain in her back, hips, and neck started. Pain that keeps her awake at night. Pain that plagues her days. 15 years of that. And she writes in her book, A Place of Healing. It's as though God is reintroducing me to suffering. Like I'm brand new to it and have never experienced it before. She writes at one point about the end of a day that was just full of pain and obviously her paralysis still. As she lay in bed and the thoughts start coming to her. And I'm sure you've had days, maybe not quite like that, but like this, the thoughts start coming. She says, she writes, stupid paralysis. If I had my hands, I could have grabbed control of the day better. Which of course leads her deeper into other thoughts. Why did, why did that lady give me such a dirty look today? I wonder why nobody complimented me on the message that I gave earlier. Which of course then leads to her questioning herself. How can I be so ungrateful for everything that God has given me? Why do I feel such bitterness? I have so much to be thankful for. I'm just a hypocrite, a fake, a liar. I'm no good. She writes of feeling that sense of just collapsing into herself, into the pit of darkness. And she writes, suffering does this. Suffering is what tests us most as persons. It examines us, sifting and asking, who are you really? Waiting in suffering exposes us. And so, a little more briefly now, what does it expose? What does waiting tend to expose in our hearts? Firstly, I really think it exposes a lack of humility. We, we want control and actually ridiculously think sometimes that we have control over the things that happen in our lives. It's beautiful to see the words of humility that Jeremiah writes. Listen to verses 28 and 29 in chapter 3. Let a man sit alone in silence when the yoke is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. It's kind of a weird image, right? The mouth in the dust kind of thing. It's actually an image from the ancient Near Eastern custom of throwing yourself on the ground before a lord or a king, a sovereign over you. It's the image of laying there in humble silence. Of course, you have dust in your mouth, you're not speaking, right? So it's the image of laying there in silence. And that, Jeremiah says, is a good thing to experience. The humility of being in the presence of someone who has true power, namely in the presence of God himself. Our world, especially here in the States, is built to give us the sense that we have control, that we don't actually have to wait for anything. This is the point where, even in my 30s, I start to sound like an old man. Back in my day, I remember watching commercials when watching TV. My children now, because of Netflix and Disney+, Plus, of course, if I can't immediately give them the show that they want, they're very confused. What's going on? They don't have to wait to watch anything. Credit cards keep us from having to wait to pay for something. FaceTime keeps us from having to wait to talk to people and see them. And Amazon keeps us from waiting to receive just about anything we want. I'm waiting for the button that basically says, click and the drone will give it to you in 30 minutes. <laughs> waiting, 
especially waiting while suffering, exposes our lack of humility and our lack of control as well so that God can graciously heal us and give joyful humility in him. But it doesn't just ex- expose hum- a lack of humility, it exposes a lack of trust as well. Jeremiah in Lamentations 3 has been completely honest about his doubts that God is actually good towards him. Listen to a few of the verses that he writes. Chapter 3, look at verse 3. Speaking of God, surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Verse 7 and 8. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy. Though I cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. You can feel the doubt that Jeremiah is experiencing that waiting and suffering has exposed. My children will often hear this phrase out of my lips. You're going to have to wait. Hold on just a minute. And if they ask enough times, they might hear, don't ask me again, or else the answer will be no. You need to wait. And so, sometimes, this may have happened a time or two in our, in our household, something like this. They've asked 10 or 11 times, for example, whether they can play a game on the iPad or something like that. And I say, okay, you need to not ask me again. I will answer you, I promise, but you need to wait. 15 minutes or so go by, you know, I'm helping clean in the kitchen because I'm such a good husband. And as I'm talking with my wife, uh, we're having to figure out the plan. And one of the children might walk into the kitchen, just kind of looking around, not making eye contact. Daddy, you know what I'm not going to ask about? I'll look at them. But I'm not asking, but I'm just wondering what you might be thinking about right now. <laughs> the, the waiting <laughs> has revealed that they don't really trust that daddy is not going to forget to give them an answer eventually. Which, to be fair, there may be some basis for their, for their doubt. <laughs> However, our God is totally reliable, and we do not have to doubt whether he has good intentions toward us. Which is why Jeremiah's words are so beautiful. After all of the waiting and suffering, he eventually comes to one of the most profound statements of trust in the entire Bible. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Waiting, praise God, exposes the lack of trust that we have so that God can enter and pave the way to provide beautiful, full, and peace-filled faith in him. But the lack of trust actually points to something I would say is even more foundational, which is that there's actually a lack of communion, experiential communion with God himself. This is where Jeremiah's lament not only exposes, but actually teaches us, because as he is suffering and waiting, he's actually speaking his grief to God. He doesn't cover any of it up, and the Psalms are the same way, because God actually wants us to voice 
the pain that we are experiencing. The very voicing to someone else who cares heals us. When, when Anna and I and the kids came back from Ukraine after having been there for a time during the war and then in Poland for a few months as well, displaced, and we came to the States last summer, we were a little bit shell-shocked, <laughs> to, to put it lightly. Uh, our lives were quite chaotic. And we went to a very sweet debrief time that was really like a mix between debriefing and therapy up in Michigan. It was called the Long Side. And we were there with a bunch of other missionaries. And everyone there came shaken for some reason, whether it was working with dying children in the rural parts of Africa or team conflict or our situation with the war. Everybody was struggling and it's you know, I mean, it feels a little weird, but you're walking around and you're basically introducing yourself. Like, hi, I'm Kirk. I'm terribly messed up also. How's your day going? <laughs> but eventually, as what I was amazed by over the course of three weeks, as we're just sitting there and sharing our stories, the fact that somebody's listening, somebody cares, just voicing our stories and our grief actually brings healing. The, the simple fact of stating, I suffered in this way, and this is how it's shaped me, brought healing. And to be totally honest, this period of waiting has actually brought me closer to Jesus than I've been in a long, long time. The sweet communion of being forced to sit in silence and have no control over what's going to happen next. It's brought me into closer communion with him. And so God uses our suffering to expose the lack of intimacy we have with him so that he can actually draw us closer in intimacy. And so a lot more briefly now, I'm going to move to the final point, which will be a lot shorter. And it's the fact that God uses the waiting not just to expose all of these things inside of us, but he uses it to expose the situation that we find ourselves in as well, the lack that there is in the experience and the situation. He exposes the brokenness so that he can grow our expectation and our hope. If we look at Lamentations in chapter 3, yes, of course, we, we know the verses that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He is good to us now. And the Lord is good to those who wait for him now. But the nature of waiting is that it's looking forward, waiting on something. And so Jeremiah does not end with the present benefits of waiting. Look at verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Even though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. The Lord does not afflict from his heart. It's a fascinating phrase. He doesn't take pleasure in our grief. We shouldn't miss the fact that it does come from his hand. And we don't have the time right now to dive into that. But we shouldn't forget that it is from him. But it is temporary. We are waiting in suffering because even though he causes grief now, he will show compassion. Waiting exposes the reality that things are not right 
it implies that now is not the last word. It builds our expectation. And again, children reveal this much more clearly than adults, I think. Any of you have either been a child or had a child around Christmas time, you know that the waiting in and of itself <laughs> It builds the joy of expectation, the fact that something is coming that is wonderful. For various reasons, our kids didn't have a lot of chances in Ukraine to go over to other kids' houses and play with them. And so since we've been back, my son Finn has made a really close friend in his class. And uh, one of our other friends, his friend Ben, invited him over to play video games. Super exciting for Finn. They were going to have a little video game tournament. We heard about it for days leading up to the moment. And eventually, we had to take Finn, stand him in front of an analog clock, and say, when the hand gets to here, this is when your friend is going to come and pick you up. And so he literally stood in front of the clock for 30 minutes, and he just jumped. <laughs> And he never ran out of energy, which I don't understand either, but <laughs> he could not wait. And should it not be the same way with us waiting for Jesus to return? I can't wait. <laughs> we don't know the time. I wish he would have given us a clock with the hands, but, but he didn't. But the expectation of the restoration of all things is still there for us to be filled with expectation and hope. I'm not ready to say, I don't know that the scriptures teach us that this is why Jesus has waited this long to return. But I do know that it does teach us that while we wait, he intends for it to build our expectation and hope of his coming to restore all things. You'll probably recognize these verses from Romans 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The final thing I'll leave you with is another image from the war that I don't think I will ever forget either. And it's just a short video. It comes from the southern Ukrainian region, Kherson, for those of you who have been following and are familiar, was recently, relatively recently, freed from occupied territory. And the people who lived in occupied territory were there for about 10 months. Many of them could not get the medicines that they needed or the food that they needed. And it was often the elderly that were left behind. Our interns, mother and grandmother, were in occupied territory during that entire time. And when, I believe it was his mother came out, she had to have knee surgery because she hadn't been able to get the, the medications that would have kept her functioning properly during those 10 months. And the image that sticks with me is a short video that was just shot from someone's phone on the streets of Kherson after and as it was freed. And when the video starts, you hear two things. The first thing is just a bunch of cars honking. <laughs> it sounds like, a, well, we're in Tuscaloosa. After a national championship, you know, the parade and all the honking. So you just hear all the cars in the background. And then the other thing you hear is a woman weeping. 
And soon thereafter, uh, a young man, a soldier, uh, who's in full garb, totally decked out, he has a gun strapped over his shoulders still, he runs across the frame, and then the camera turns, and there's an old woman there on her knees, and she's just bowing on the ground, and she's weeping. And as he runs towards her, she puts her hands on the ground, and, and just, it looks like maybe she kisses the ground, and she's just so overwhelmed. And she comes back up, just weeping uncontrollably. And this is her grandson, who has actually freed her from the occupation. And as he runs over to her, he just falls down on his knees, and they hug, and they hold each other. That woman's suffering was not good, but I guarantee that those 10 months changed her, that she expected and hoped for freedom, salvation, the same way that we wait for salvation, and it meant something different to her. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we do not truly understand what it means to wait. You have some of us waiting, waiting perhaps for a spouse, waiting for direction from your hand, waiting for a wayward child to turn back to you, perhaps waiting for you to take us to glory. Many of us are waiting. I pray that you would use that to expose us, to change us, to heal us, and make us love and long for you more than any other thing. In the name of Jesus, we pray.